I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. And today I am so excited to have a conversation with two of my dear friends and fellow rare moms. Both of them, their first child, were born with rare disorders, and they're both now brand new moms with kids only like days or weeks apart of their second kiddo who was born without a genetic disorder and are perfectly quote unquote healthy. So we are delving into this idea of, you know, all of the fears and the emotions and the considerations that come along with, you know, deciding to have a second child. And this conversation isn't about finding right or wrong answers. It's about understanding and respecting the unique experiences and choices of each family in our community. And I think that it's just a really important topic that I see people asking questions about all the time. And I think you're really going to enjoy some of their thoughts on the matter. So please enjoy my guests, Emily and Katie. Hello, Emily and Katie. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hi. Okay. Many of you know Katie Lloyd, the beautiful uh, Swissy friend of all of ours and her blog. And she's been on the show before. So I'll link her episodes in the show notes. They can't be missed. And introducing Emily, my beautiful angel friend, who's a fellow CTNNB1 mom to the show and a super powerhouse on our CTNNB1 foundation. So welcome to both of you. I'm so excited you're here. Emily and Katie both have obviously uh, children with rare genetic disorders, but they also have newborns literally attached to them at this moment. So we're going to kind of just go through all of that stuff, well, as much as we can in, a, in an episode for now, about just kind of like the journey that it takes for us families to decide whether to have another kid or not and just all the stuff that goes into it. So Katie, I'll start with you. Can you just walk us a little bit through a little intro of you and your family? And then Emily, just go ahead and follow her. All right. So we are a British German family living in Switzerland, as you do. And we have a four-year-old called Casper, who has a rare genetic syndrome called DeSanto Shinawi syndrome, which is also known as DESH. And we have a three-week-old called Arlo, and that's us, in a nutshell. And I'm Emily Amerson. I have a two-year-old who was diagnosed with CTNNB1 syndrome, um, and we have a one-month-old named Nora. Oh my gosh, you two are so cute. All right, so both of you, like, how did your experience with your firstborns and their genetic conditions kind of shape your hopes and your fears about having that second child? Oh, gosh. I feel like this question is is a big one. I think it affects 
everything, right? So I tried to explain to a friend that having a child with a rare disease is like you look under a curtain and you can't unsee it. So you connect with this rare disease world and you learn about all these rare diseases. But on the flip side, you know about all these rare diseases, right? So you know the possibilities that rare is not so rare when you have friends who also have children with rare diseases. And my son is one of 200 in the world and it happened to us. So I think you do come with this knowledge before the pregnancy, the second pregnancy or the next pregnancy of the possibilities and that definitely would, I would say, followed me throughout. I don't know if you felt the same, Emily. Yeah, that's, I, you put it perfectly. Even in the pregnancy, uh, I was, you know, it was a totally different pregnancy the second time around because the first time around, I just was so ignorant to all the things that could happen. And I was just, you know, got good well checks and I was like, okay, perfect baby. We're headed towards a perfect delivery, headed towards perfect start to parenthood. And, um, you know, this is just following the tracks of all these friends and people I see on social media. Like, this is just how it goes. Everything's fine. And then the second time around, it's like, well, <laughs> like you said, you know, if, if this happened to us once, you know, and then you, you learn about all the other rare diseases, your, your eyes are just kind of open to this world of not perfect social media family planning. And, and you just kind of wonder if, if there's something else that's just going to pop up. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like having this knowledge the second time maybe took any of the joy out of it or do you feel like it just really equipped you and kind of empowered you oh for me it definitely took away some of the joy because we actually did genetic testing on our on our baby so at 12 weeks uh pregnant we did a test to find out if he also had the santo shinawi syndrome um and that was terrifying because it came with risks and it was very unpleasant and we chose to do that because we wanted, we just wanted to know because for us, knowledge is power. And, you know, we knew what we were getting into then. And for me, until I got the results of that test, you know, and, and I got kind of past it and knew that he was safe from that procedure, I found that really hard. So we didn't really tell anyone till about 13, 14 weeks um, because we didn't know if the procedure was going to cause any anything. And so I definitely feel... But even till the end, I would definitely say I did not feel safe, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Emily? Yeah, we, it was a hard balance between um, getting that early genetic testing or, you know, how, how much anxiety am I going to have over wondering if the second baby also has CTNNB1 versus how worried am I going to be about the risks of that testing. <laughs> so we ended up not getting that genetic testing early on. And I, you know, we were told that the gene was de novo in our case for Savannah. But you never know. There's the mosaicism or whatever that they tell you about. So my whole pregnancy, I was, and still, I mean, I don't think she has anything. Um, but, you know, we didn't know until Savannah was about six months old when she wasn't meeting the milestones that kind of something was going on. So I almost feel like I'm still not in the clear in some ways. I'm kind of just watching her like a hawk. Um, so it has stripped a lot of the joy out of I'm I'm anticipating those milestones with a little bit of fear I guess any particular reason if you want to share why you decided not to get one of those CVIs is that what it's called CVS I think 
CVS. Yeah, I, there's just a risk of miscarriage um, since it's done with amniocentesis. So there's, there's two procedures, it's the CVS and the amnio. So the CVS, I think, is around 10 to 12 weeks, and that's where they take the placenta. And the amniocentesis is a, a few weeks later, I think, and that's where they take the amniotic fluid. So that two different tests at two different times. So we could have taken the amnio later if we wished. Yeah, we were only offered the amnio, and she mentioned the risk of miscarriage, and I just kind of, me personally, thought that the anxiety over miscarrying was higher than um, my anxiety over the genetic condition. I can understand that for sure. I mean, that's always in the back of any of our heads when we decide to do anything, even for our kids. Did either of you feel judged or weird or uncomfortable in any way to share with others that you were going to have another baby? Did you feel like, you know, maybe you already had too much on your plate or that people, you know what I mean? Did any of you like kind of feel a little weird about that? I almost feel like I needed a disclaimer almost with our announcement of like, we're not expecting this baby to also have a genetic condition because it's de novo for Savannah, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I have a support system. We're going to be okay. I almost felt like I needed to include that in the announcement to avoid the judgment. And I never got any outwardly to me, but I, I wonder if that's what people are thinking when they see <laughs> that announcement, you know? I think for us, it was almost the other way. I think people expected us not to have more children. So people were quite surprised. They were like, oh, you're having another one. As if, you know, that our lives were over having one disabled child and we no longer wanted to expand our family, which just, it's ridiculous. And I think we had the other way that people assumed this baby would be healthy. And I was more, I'm very cautious. I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit, overcautious and a little bit anxious so I said you know we don't know we don't know and if he comes and if there's a baby and I think people thought I was losing my mind a bit by not saying when and when he's healthy but for me it was very much we just don't know so I tended to say maybe he will have something or not who knows we we tried to take things each day as it came I think that's the only way we survived the whole pregnancy <laughs> and until now. Yeah. Well, real quick, Katie, Casper was de novo mutation, right? He was. And actually, when we said to people that we were doing the CVS, they were very shocked. Even people from the Dash community. And I have since found out that there's actually, I think, 3% of the families or 3% um, there are siblings. So they're not mosaicism and they don't know why there are siblings with the same because it is de novo. So for us, it, it did feel like the right decision in the long run, but it was terrifying. You know, as Emily said, it comes with risks and it is absolutely terrifying to think we could have harmed the baby in some way. But statistically, it's higher and we're not really sure why in the Dash community. So for us, it was important just to have that knowledge. I agree. It was the same for me. And I think that's actually pretty common. I mean, CTNMB1 too has a few symptoms. And again, like Emily said, it could have that mosaicism aspect to it. So I don't necessarily know how to phrase this question, but I know for me, I really, really wanted that like typical quintessential experience of parenthood. And I wanted to experience, you know, having this child that I always had imagined I was going to have. Anyone who wants to like 
start name calling and calling me ableist and everything for that. Just save your emails, please, because that this isn't that. But I wonder, did either of you kind of feel that sort of ache to kind of have that typical experience? Did you feel bad about have, wanting to have that typical experience? So for me, like I still, I think I'm definitely in some kind of self-protection stage where I can't believe this baby is typical. So I'm kind of waiting for the the ball to drop at some point and for things, I don't know, to, to turn out differently. I do want that experience, but I can't quite let myself believe it's going to happen. And people have said to me, you know, when your second is here and, and he's typical, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be. So for me, I'm still in self-preservation mode where it would be nice, but I can't quite let myself go there just in case that's not our experience again the second time around. Does that make sense? Do I sound completely neurotic? <laughs> Uh, Ezzy's almost five, and I probably say that at least once a week in case he has to, like, shush me up. Because I'm like, babe, I think something, I think she has autism. I think she has ADD, ADHD. And he's like, Effie, she is perfectly developmentally on track. And I was like, no, I I think something's probably wrong. So, yeah, I do get it. And it's probably, you know, like some weird, yeah, self-preservation sort of trauma thing that, like you mentioned. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I just... I feel like, and I've said this to you before, Effie, it's like the fool me once phrase or whatever. It's like, I was so ignorant the first time around where it's like, I'm almost expecting, you know, and it not necessarily CTNNB1, but like, what is, what challenges are going to hit us this time kind of um, mentality where I feel like, and it is a self-preservation, like, you know, you don't want to set yourself up for for feeling so distraught again because um, really getting Savannah's diagnosis felt like the biggest toppling wave of my life that I could have ever imagined. And so you, you don't want to set yourself up for that. And you mentioned the guilt. I, I do feel guilty. Um, and I said this to another CTNNB1 mom who um, recently found out she was pregnant, kind of just reached out to me to really just share some feelings that she was having. And she's the first person that I told that I felt guilty about, um, you know, really wanting this typical parenting experience. And I don't know why the guilt is there. And it feels weird to say out loud, but you know, that's, that's what everyone wants. And it's not to say that you don't love and appreciate your parenting experience with your child with disabilities, but it's just, it's hard <laughs> and you don't want those same challenges and you don't want, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but there is guilt in wanting a quote unquote normal experience. And I think if I can just jump in, like our kids have been through a lot, like medically, physically, emotionally, as have we. And I think we don't want to see our children suffer and we also don't want to suffer as, as parents. And not that it's all pain and suffering with our kids, like they're also wonderful, beautiful, magical moments. But I think that's one part of it that if we have a typical child, we wouldn't have to go through that a second time around. And if our other children do have disabilities or rare diseases, we'd love them just the same. But we would like to not go through that again. You know, it's it's something that annoys me, actually, that anyone even feels like they have to follow it up with that. Like, that's what it bothers me about it. 
And I think that it really kind of opens that box about ableism that is so loud right now and sometimes very misdirected that we can't just have these human feelings and these experiences that are happening to us and that have happened to our children and to our families that are very serious and also feel another type of way without feeling like we have to feel guilty about it. When I feel like it's just normal and I feel like it's okay to have those feelings and to just let them be exactly what they are without having to feel like, you know, we have to pay for something. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I feel like we get backed into like these these dark rooms where we can't really share our feelings about certain things because we're afraid of, you know, that shame of us being joyful or us wanting another path that we had expected prior to it. Yeah, those those quotes that pop up on Instagram all the time about, you know, grief and joy can coexist and you can you can love your child and enjoy every moment and at the same time say this is freaking hard. Yes, I just it, I think it just really like is a reminder that we do have permission to feel, right? And that it's okay, totally okay. And nobody should be name called or shamed for having those feelings because of the experience that they've had. It reminds me a friend of mine was pregnant with twins and I asked, you know, do you know if they're boys or girls or a boy and a girl yet? And she said, you know, I don't care as long as they're healthy. And then she looked at me and she she panicked and she said, I mean, I'd love them even if they weren't healthy. And I thought, of course you want the babies to be healthy. Who wants that baby to be born with medical needs and seizures and so on. Nobody wishes that for their baby. And for a long time, I was quite maybe a little bit defensive about the healthy baby thing, but it makes sense. We all wish for our children to be healthy. That doesn't mean we, uh, I don't know, we are ableist. We just want good things for our kids because we love them. Yeah, I think I think there's so many quips that have become an activator slash a trigger for families like ours. And I think that it does get perpetuated online and it becomes a narrative. And so you think that you have to be defensive over certain things and people aren't necessarily really thinking through it before they make their own decisions about stuff like that. And I love how you kind of flipped your mind on that because of course we do. And of course we will still love them anyways and it will be what it is. But I don't think that when people say that, they're like, because a healthy baby would just be, you know, just be the worst thing in the world. Like, it's complicado, right? Like, they're not saying it to, like, diminish your child's worth is what I mean. Exactly. I think it's it's like with the grief and joy, these things can exist. I can love my disabled child and I can wish for a healthy baby that they they coexist side by side. Yeah. It's okay. So there is another part that's really complex, and it's about that sibling aspect. And I'm sure it's like that, you know, for as long as we all shall live. What do you two think about that? And what are kind of your hopes for the siblings? And what are some of your fears? So for us, the biggest fear, well, there were several, I think. So with Casper, he has a lot of sensory needs, and he's very scared of other children. So he's a bit of a lone wolf. He will tolerate children as long as they don't speak near him or come near him or touch his toys. So he doesn't really play with other children. And there was a long period where he, if a child made a sound near him, he would just completely shut down. So he would cry and then fall asleep as if he had like complete sensory overload. And then the the computer turned off. 
So that was a fear of ours with the crying, that he would go into like sensory meltdown and struggle. And actually within three weeks, he has really adapted to the crying. He points to my breast and says, mama milk. So he knows, he knows how to shut the baby up or he points to the pacifier and, you know, wants to put it in his mouth. But I think our other fear as well is that Casper's very impulsive. And so we are worried about safety. So we've basically engineered our schedules that I'm never alone with both, which I feel like most parents don't really have to worry about in the typical world. You know, that you can. I have had some comments like, well, I looked after both of my children on my own. And I think, well, your child did not have DeSanto Shinawi syndrome. So you don't really get to tell me how to do it. I'm still a little bit defensive about that, clearly. So yeah, those were our biggest fears. And so far, things have gone much better than expected. I think we've catastrophized, but it has been useful in getting ready and and preparing. I love that. Um, Yeah, going back to deciding whether, well, we always wanted more than one child. I grew up as an only child and decided very early on that I would never do that to my children (laughs) or my child. So we always wanted more children, but for us, the planning aspect was when you know, and there really is no right answer, but for us it was, do we have them closer together so that it, you know, they're smaller and easier to physically carry? Or do we, do we wait and have a longer gap between them so that hopefully Savannah is walking or at least a little more mobile when we have a second child? So for us, the sibling adding to the family went back to family planning and It took us a while to have Savannah, so, you know, throwing that into the mix, it's just this whole complex decision of, yes, we want another one, but when and and is that when going to actually happen? So we decided to try to get them close together so that I could carry Savannah and the new baby um, and Savannah wouldn't be as heavy. (laughs) Honestly, that's kind of what the decision came down to, but... Uh, Savannah is very similar to your Casper with the sensory aspect. She will hear loud noises and immediately jump um, and cry and just any unexpected noises, which babies make a lot of, uh, you know, kind of send her into this kind of frantic place and you can just see it in her eyes. So I didn't um, I was worried about doing that to her and how is that going to work with the baby. And, and she also doesn't really have an interest in playing with other children. So it's just, you know, it's kind of just like a wait and see. And, you know, we will put boundaries in place, obviously, for their safety and just kind of see. Hopefully they kind of find their own way to play together once they're older and hopefully Savannah is more mobile so I'm not (laughs) carrying a toddler and a one-year-old when we get there but yeah it's it's very complex yeah Katie I worry about your burnout level with the matter of feeling like you can't leave them alone and I totally resonate with both of those you know for it's similar sounding to obviously both of your kids and doesn't necessarily play with Ezzy and I can't have them seated next to each other Ford's obviously in a wheelchair so he can't like you know go up to Ezzy and eat smacker or whatever it is that they could do but if they're next to each other he absolutely can so I I understand that like constant vigilance and safety and you know I'm seven years into this and I and I'm still doing that it's a day-to-day thing kind of like all of it right 
I think in a way I'm prepared because we have to be hypervigilant with Casper anyway, because if the door is unlocked, he's he's getting out the door. You know, if there's something to be touched or thrown, he's going to get his hands on it. So we've kind of had four years of hypervigilance. And now he's, you know, he started walking at 30 months, well, first steps. And, you know, now he's running at four and a half. So he is fast and he is, yeah, he's cheeky. He will, <laughs> he knows which buttons to press when he's, when he's feeling it. So it's, I would say I'm used to being hypervigilant, but it's definitely, you know, when he wants to um, give the baby a kiss, I am, I think me and my husband don't breathe until, <laughs> until it's over. <laughs> yeah. I know you're like both so new and you're like sleep deprived and probably just really, really hungry right now. But let's talk about maybe some of those unexpected joys that you've got to experience so far, even in the first few months-ish. I think for me, it's how Casper has reacted to the baby. So as I said, we were really worried that, you know, he was afraid, he is afraid of loud sounds. And then we bring in this loud human who doesn't leave and is permanent, you know, and he has no choice but to live with them. But he's he started to speak a little bit more. And so he, you know, he wakes up in the morning and says, where Arlo? And he, he always says, hi, baby R, hi, baby R. So his nickname is Baby R. I don't know why it's R and not Arlo. And he seems to recognize that this human, you know, that's here to stay is someone else and not just, you know, someone special, not just a random person. And that's really nice to see. So I think the catastrophizing has its benefits in that there have been positive things that we've not expected. Of course, I could have had a lot less anxiety on the way to the joy if I'd not been so nervous about things. But it's really beautiful to see how he's taken to having a brother and it's been better than we could have expected and I think maybe because he is that bit older I think a year ago or even six months ago it would have been a different story but that's been really beautiful to see for us. Our story didn't start out as expected. Savannah was actually sick with RSV. She tested positive the day after I delivered Nora and so we um, thankfully my parents live here and so they just kept Savannah um, for the first week that we brought Nora home and so it was it was kind of strange because it was almost like we were a family of three with a newborn it was like reliving those first days with Savannah and but then also like missing her terribly and realizing that she was a two-year-old staying with my parents and just anticipating them meeting for that whole week it's I don't even have words for the feelings that went through my mind that first week of having her separate from us Um, It was very strange and not at all what we pictured the first week to look like. But once they did finally meet, um, it it has been also better than expected. Um, Savannah's curious, but keeps her distance. And you can tell that she has also learned, you know, that this is a permanent special person. This is part of our family. But, you know, (laughs) why is it making that noise? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um, it's it's been it's been heartwarming to see and also just fun to watch her reaction, specifically when Nora is not crying, just kind of Savannah looking so curiously at her and wanting to wanting to touch her, but then backing away and kind of just figuring it out. I wonder, though, Emily, if being on this kind of rare journey with your eldest if that has prepared you for the unexpected like the RSV and being separated at the beginning I wonder if it gave you more tools to kind of deal with the 
the unexpected arising. Yeah, probably so. Um, I kept my cool as much as I could (laughs) with it. (laughs) Um, But you're right. I mean, there's so many things that kind of just get plopped in our laps um, where we probably are more able to adapt to things like that, um, being a rare family for sure. Yeah, I was doing a talk a couple of weeks ago and at the end, like during Q&A, one of the ladies asked me how I do it because when her kid's sick, literally her world is on fire and like everything is awful and she can't get anything done and blah, 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 blah. And so how could someone like us do this every day? And I was, I didn't really know what to say in the moment. And it was just like, well, this is just the way that it is. And I know that it's lifelong. And so to get, you know, so disrupted over any little thing and any little sickness would just turn me into a lunatic. Yeah, you have to build up like this mental endurance of, you know, you're just preparing yourself for we're just going to handle whatever comes our way. <laughs> totally. They asked me at the hospital if I had a birth plan and I just laughed and I said, I don't plan things anymore. <laughs> what's, the po- what's the point? I love that so much. I was like, I'm planning for a birth. <laughs> That's it. Whatever that looks like. <laughs> so something that I have found just so strange I don't even know what word to use because my brain's melted today but like having navigated the public eye right with our kids who have rare genetic disorders do you find it strange or conflicting to now be out with a child who's you know typically developing can you describe any like weird encounters or mixed emotions and reactions of just what it's like to be a regular mom and how different it is So Casper doesn't have any equipment, like he doesn't use a wheelchair, he doesn't have any medical equipment. So I don't know if most people realize that he is disabled when they meet him until he asks the same thing 10 times or he won't stop touching them. And then they start to look at me like, there's something going on here, but we don't know what and we're too polite to ask. So I haven't noticed anything yet with the baby, but we'll see. Time will tell, I think. Yeah, we haven't really gone anywhere yet, um, but I I have that feeling with Savannah out in public too because, I mean, she has a walker, but we don't, honestly, we don't take it anywhere with us because it's just too big and we have, <laughs> we just now got a car big enough and I, I still don't bring it with us. But I also wonder what people are thinking and, and how much they're realizing that she's, I'm sure they know that she's disabled. I just... And they're too polite to ask, like you said. I just don't know. I don't know how that looks as as an outsider. And I wonder what they're thinking. And I wish they would ask or say something other than, you know, the pleasantries and kind of ignoring it. Yeah. I, you know, I guess I maybe didn't phrase my question very well. And maybe you're just both too new, right? And you haven't even, like, come up for area and been, it, been outside for realsies. But I guess what I mean is just like more of those regular encounters, like even if our disabled kids aren't with us, but like, you know, maybe you're out alone at the park with your new kid and moms start talking to you like you're a regular person and, you know, start saying things that would be normally relatable to another new mom. And you're just like inside, like you have no idea. This is this doesn't compare to anything that I normally do. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like maybe you guys just haven't encountered it yet because you're such new parents but it's weird for me to be out sometimes with just Ezzy and have parents talk to me about things that would normally be relatable but then in the back of my mind I'm like this isn't really my life 
I actually had some of that experience. I think what you're talking about while I was pregnant, um, there was a, more opportunities while I was pregnant to get out by myself. And when I was really showing, people would ask, you know, is this your first? When are you due? Congratulations. And when they asked if it was my first, I would say, no, I have a two-year-old. And then the, the comments that followed were always, oh, well, is she excited? Is she, you know, um, going to share her toys? And just these things that they would expect from a neurotypical two-year-old in anticipation of a little sibling. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this person thinks my two-year-old is neurotypical. You know, do I say... Uh, and this is like your episode that you just released to Effie about do like is do I have the energy to like explain everything right now or do I just say yeah uh huh <laughs> totally yeah and it does start in pregnancy for sure but yeah once once she's older once Nora's older and um, hitting those milestones of like oh you know the comments people make about oh I bet you're chasing her around and things like that I'm I'm sure that will definitely experience kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Be glad she's not talking yet. She'll never shut up. Right. <laughs> I hate comments like that. Yeah. And it is a form of the supermarket answer. I was thinking that too. I was like, oh yeah, Jennifer's already named this. It's that, it's that sort of type of conversation that you engage in, especially I feel like after when you have a regular, like typically developing kid and you're out alone, it's almost, it's almost a little numbing. You know, like you have to go to this sort of numb space sometimes to like just have that supermarket conversation and just keep it right right there in that little box. Right. And it almost feels like you're pretending. It's like I'm pretending that I have this life that this person thinks I have right now. But like sometimes that's fine. Sometimes sometimes I do want to pretend that and and just talk about how my daughter is so happy and not talk about the fact that she can't walk yet. Oh, well, I know you're so busy, you guys. I could have this conversation forever because it is just such a it's such a reality check and it really continues every single day. So if there's anything that you want to add on top of this, hopefully we can talk about this again and kind of get into more depth in a couple areas. But if you don't have anything to add, I guess I would just ask you to maybe speak to the families who are listening who are considering having another kid. So much we could say, but I think it's really important to, I think for parents to acknowledge all the feelings and the complexities of the, those feelings that, you know, this feels terrifying and it feels magical, but it's also really, really scary at times or difficult and then wonderful and then wild and then beautiful and like it's all these things and it's very complex and I think we have to really acknowledge our feelings around all of it and not you know kind of put our heads down and and push forwards and and to reach out to other people who have been there before you know like maybe Effie you can put my Instagram handle in the show notes you know if anyone wants to reach out and talk to me um I'm very happy to you know I'm not an expert obviously but we've been through this and if anybody wants to talk, you know, I'm, I'm really open to that because it is, it's complicated as we've discussed. Yeah, I definitely agree. Talking to other people really solidified, um, I guess gave us peace with our decision to grow our family. Um, even though it was, like you said, Katie, very <laughs> terrifying. 
um, and all the other things, but um, talking to other people and hearing stories of those sibling bonds with our special kiddos, um, like Ezzy. <laughs> I love hearing about Ezzy and seeing um, your videos, Effie, of her with Ford. And um, yeah, I think just just reaching out to people who it's it's real for them and you can kind of picture it for yourself because otherwise it does feel like this big scary unknown um but i i think it's worth it i i just i know that um our family is more blessed now that we have nora and i know that it's um there's going to be more support for Savannah and for Savannah to be that influence to Nora, I think is so special. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is reaching out to other families who've been there and hearing about those experiences and the hard experiences too. Um, so you know what you're getting yourself into, really. Yeah, totally. Oh my God, that just made me like have five more ideas of where we're going to have to build off on this conversation. We need a part two. <laughs> totally. And I guess I would just say, and I think I told this to you, Emily, and you can only hear this when it finally clicks, I think, too, is to just seriously savor it. Savor all of that stuff that you never, ever got to experience. Like, really, you see it now and you see it so much more vividly than you would have if you didn't have a child that was sick. Um, and the fact that you get to experience that now too but it's so magnified I just really hope that both of you especially can just really breathe that in because it's remarkable it's almost like we're experiencing what we think when other people tell us little complaints about the neurotypical child like in my head I'm thinking oh my gosh just be like just be thankful that they're walking like don't complain to me about them getting into stuff and it's like, now I have this little one where I get to say to myself, you know, be thankful that they're walking and it's it's not going to bother me as much when they're getting into stuff because I'm going to view it as a blessing that they are. Totally. Uh, it reminds me of like how messy I let Ezzy get, you know, and I like things clean. But like, yeah, my friend sent a giant box of sprinkles to her and I let her just go wild with them and everyone was like I can't believe you'd allow that mess blah 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 and I'm like are you kidding me this is the most magical thing I've ever seen also can I just add like I now have all this knowledge from from Casper all this advice people gave me that never worked you know <laughs> just put him in the carrier and he'll fall asleep and he'd be screaming 40 minutes later and now I'm like I just took him out in the stroller and he slept for four hours this is amazing so <laughs> totally. like, these things actually do work <laughs> they're not they're not myths <laughs> Which is kind of nice because I was like, no, someone's giving me the wrong instruction manual here. And the nice thing is to do it the second time around. See, these things do work. You know, it just depends on the child. I know. Right? Isn't it just wild, too, to just actually see a kid eat? Like, just to do it? I mean, these things are, they leave you awestruck. Every little thing that they do. All right, you two. Well, I sure love you. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your extremely busy and high stress lives right now to talk to me about this conversation love you effie 
Well, thank you for having us, Effie. And I've been rock. I've been rocking for forty-three minutes now. I can finally stop rocking. With I'll my for baby. sure add a very rare adventure Instagram handle and website for Katie. She writes beautiful blogs. You cannot miss it. Emily's always here on Instagram too, and she's always doing so much amazing work for our CTN and B1 families. So if you want to reach out to either of them, you can't miss them. So thanks, ladies. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Effie. Thanks, Effie. Nice to meet you, Katie. And you, Emily. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.